we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. A week and a half left until Selection Sunday. The latest twist in the Alabama basketball saga and perhaps the most important story pertaining to the NFL draft has just emerged moments ago this is the college game day podcast for wednesday march 1st reese davis and pete thamel here pete thamel on location at the nfl combine and pete i'm sure by the time most people download and listen to this they will be aware of the situation involving uh georgia star defensive lineman jalen carter who is one of the top prospects perhaps even the number one overall pick in next month's nfl draft an arrest warrant has been issued for him in connection with the tragic and deadly automobile accident that happened on January 15th, one in which um, two people were killed, and including former Bulldog player Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix, who played, uh, or rather, who was part of the Georgia staff. Um, it is alleged, according to the arrest warrant, that at some point that uh, they were racing, and I guess uh, it appears that the arrest warrant is for racing and reckless driving. Now, this has to have been a a uh, story that sort of caused waves and ripples and shock waves across the NFL Combine. What's the, what's the latest that you've heard on this? Well, I landed here in Indianapolis Wednesday morning, Reese, and I mean, it's not an exaggeration from the moment I walked off my plane, you bump into scouts, you bump into agents, you bump into different people in the industry, media people. It is all anyone was talking about here at the Combine. I mean, this is a seismic story in terms of NFL draft. And obviously, I don't want to sound uh, obtuse. There was obviously, you know, two two people died in this situation that, that, that Jalen Carter's tied to, so I don't want to sound overly dramatic about the football ramifications of, of this story. But here in Indianapolis, where the NFL Draft Combine is the focus, Jalen Carter was preparing to speak to the media this morning. Um, that process here is a little weird. It's usually not linear. It's like Jalen Carter is going to speak at some – anyone who speaks. Reese Davis is going to speak at some point in the morning, and, and it's always a little nebulous. They, they always usually come, but there's always a little bit of leeway. So there was obviously, because of his status – a huge crowd starting to gather around Jalen Carter. And this story broke minutes before he was expected to, to take the podium and start addressing the media. So that shows you the timing of this and just the buzz and ripples it, it caused in, uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, I think that the most key detail, just from a long-term standpoint, from his draft status standpoint, and from his life standpoint, is that both of the charges, according to an Athens uh, Clark County spokesperson, are going to be misdemeanors. So if they're two misdemeanor charges, again, I'm not a lawyer. Billis would know better, but I, I would think it's unlikely that there's jail time. But that would just be my general my general dealing with uh, dealing with folks in trouble and writing about them for for that amount of time. I could be wrong, but it, it's a it's a whole different world um, in every aspect that these are felony charges. So. I'm not saying he's going to just get off scot-free and these are going to be forgotten, but this is, this is a big deal. I mean, I have a warrant out for his arrest. Um, I'd imagine by the time this gets, people are listening to this, that, you know, he will have gone back to Georgia and, and dealt with the legal process during, uh, during this. But um, this is going to, 
hover over and linger over his draft process in every way. And uh, I think he's the most talented player in this entire draft. Um, before this, NFL teams had concerns about Jalen Carter. They had concerns about his motor. They had concerns about how he played. They had concerns about his character. So this moment is only going to amplify those concerns. Um, so it, it is a uh, it is just a, a a sort of stunning in the in the manner it arrived, in the timing that it arrived uh, moment here, and, and it's going to be something Jalen Carter and his agents and his team are going to be uh, you know going up against here, and the teams are going to have to open up the hood and really take a look at Jalen Carter, the person, before they draft Jalen Carter, the player. Some of the details in the report that has been issued, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution also um, doing some of the reporting on this, and they obtained some surveillance video. It's uh, been revealed that Chandler Lee Croy had more than twice the legal limit in Georgia of blood alcohol concentration, according to uh, according to the report. When Jalen Carter returned to the scene, um, he at different points denied having been racing with the car, but there was no observation by the officers that he had been drinking, according to the Journal-Constitution report. You know, I bring this up just in terms of trying to give context to the entire situation, not in terms to absolve him or to, uh, you know, or to unnecessarily cast dispersions uh, at the at the young lady who, you know, just horrific, awful um, in uh, situation in which she lost her life in the prime of her life. And, you know, but this is, these are just the facts that are being reported. And I think it's important uh, to note that at least according to the story from the journal constitution and who was referring to the officer on the scene, there was no indication according to that, that Jalen Carter uh, was impaired, but there, there was apparently uh, evidence to suggest that both vehicles had changed lanes, and at the time of the crash, it, it looked as if the um, the Ford that was uh, the one that crashed, the only one that crashed, was traveling over 100 miles an hour. So it's uh, and it's just a awful situation for all involved. A terrible situation for Georgia. It came in the hours after celebrating their second consecutive national championship. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's going to be a difficult situation for everyone to try to heal from. And the draft part of it is huge because we're a sports broadcasting company. But I think that we're cognizant of the of the larger of the larger picture as well. Given given that and the time between now and the draft, what's the process going to be like in terms of evaluation of some of those questions about Jalen Carter that you brought up? It's a, it's, it's a really good question. I think, you know, look, these NFL teams, I, I have a theory, Reese, that the evolution of scouting, the scouts have really become almost like reporters, right? Film is so widely available. If you go scout Jalen Carter, it, you know, they have practice film available. They have film from every angle. They have him playing inside, him playing outside. It run that, that is all very quantifiable. But uh, there, there's an old saying, if you get the person wrong, you get the player wrong. And so as scouting has evolved, it has evolved to how does he treat the lunch ladies? Um, how does he handle his academics? Is he respectful in the facility? It really does he love football. So these scouts really go ask questions off the field and spend, you know, I would say almost 80% of their time digging into who these players are. I mean, somebody like General Carter, you're investing tens of millions of dollars of your franchise's money in. You can't get that wrong. 
I mean, there's just no chance. You, you just can't, you can't get those types of things wrong. So any draft, any player who's going to be drafted goes through an unbelievable amount of scrutiny. And if players drafted high goes through more, any player with an arrest warrant out for him, that's going to be arrested and, and be charged with, you know, reckless driving here uh, is going to even be an added layer of scrutiny. And then the franchise who does draft him also has to prepare for the scrutiny they're going to receive um, because they're going to get, they're, they're going to get, there's going to be some blowback, uh, negative blowback. If you draft a player who has uh, who has a character issue like this. So um, I, you know, today sitting here, you know, will this, is Jalen Carter going to be the, you know, the 12th pick in the NFL draft because of this? Probably not. Um, and he might not have gone first anyway. Just it depends on if there was a trade and how all that worked. Um, but, in, and there's time, right? There, there's time. And I do ultimately think the NFL is a pretty cold-blooded business. So if you think Jalen Carter is a franchise player and you don't think these issues are going to hound him, like I think of a guy like Nick Fairley who got drafted really high and then just couldn't stay out of trouble. Right. And ended up being a, a, a pretty, uh, a pretty distinct bust. Um, and there's others too. He's just the one that pops in my mind right now. Cause he was picked, uh, he was picked pretty, pretty high. Um, you have to make sure, I think the evaluation nexus is this, you have to make sure that he's not going to have a similar problem because if he has a similar problem, the GM's jobs on the line, the scouts jobs are on the line and it puts the whole franchise in peril. All right. Like a speeding ticket for Jalen Carter at this point, becomes a huge story. It just does. It just, this is where his actions have, have led him to and the scrutiny he's going to be under. So um, I can't promise a distinct drop in the draft, but it is going to be a significant piece of every evaluation. In terms of, you know, making sure that people listening to this know that we understand the balance of it, part of that evaluation and perhaps I don't know, it won't tie to the investigation by the authorities per se, but part of the scouts investigation, I would imagine is, was this uh, impetuous, you know, spur of the moment thing that just was a, a tragic error in judgment and sort of a one-time thing, or is this part of a pattern of behavior? And because, you know, in and of itself, I can hear people you know, responding and saying it's awful, it's a terrible tragedy, but sometimes young people make errors in judgment and they drive fast, you know, or they race or they're messing around with cars and they shouldn't be. Um, and all of those things are are true. But when 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 such an accident occurs and, and people are killed, it shines a different light on it. And then for whatever the football angle of it is worth for Jalen Carter, I think that's going to be part of, of what they will have to decide. Was this, for lack of a better term, a one-time situation in which he really made an error in judgment and was, and, and no one to my knowledge, to be clear about this also, always, we want to choose our words carefully when we're dealing with these types of issues. But according to what I've read, other than the fact that racing another car puts you in peril, there there is nothing that has been charged that says, you know, he directly caused the accident. Obviously, if, if you're racing someone, you you are contributing to putting someone in harm's way. But, you know, in terms of, you know, causing the accident, I don't think that has been alleged up to this point based on what I've read. But that to me, that's the thing that they will evaluate and the lesser important side of this about his draft stock is, was it more or less a one-time deal 
or is it a part of a pattern of questionable judgment? And ultimately, that will probably um, reflect itself on draft night because otherwise he's he's going to go right at the top. Maybe not number one, but he'll go very close to the top. So, Reese, while we're talking here, uh, Jalen Carter issued a statement. Uh, he said, quote, this morning I received a telephone call from the Athens, Georgia Police Department informing me that two misdemeanor warrants have been issued against me for reckless driving and racing. Numerous media reports also have circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events of January 15, 2023. It is my intention to return to Athens to answer the misdemeanor charges against me and to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. There is no question in my mind that when all of the facts are known, that I will be fully exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. Yeah. Now, I I can't, you know, obviously we, we can't see the future. We don't know what's going to unfold with the legal process. Um, I would think if there's not significant jail time, and the background checks come out reasonable, you know, somebody's going to bet on his talent. Uh, still, isn't the old Pete Gillen saying you're going to be better than your problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's a lot of talent in Jalen Carter. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, this is just such a tragedy that he's been tied to. I mean, just you, you feel like the euphoria of that whole Georgia community hits its apex with that celebration that day. And then they immediately go to just the, the, the most searing of tragedies within hours. I mean, it's unthinkable what that program has had to endure um, in in the wake of those uh, of those two deaths, and uh, yeah, and then in for 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 Jalen Carter, this is you know part of his career story is always going to be tied to that moment. Since it sort of dovetails tragically, it was on it was in the same wee hours, just mere hours apart, that the that the situation happened in Tuscaloosa where the young woman was shot and killed that led to uh, Brandon Miller's connection to it. And our interview with Greg Mm -hmm. Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama last week, a couple of things to get to with that quickly, as you've looked back and thought about the interview with Byrne and what happened in the, in the aftermath, not necessarily talking about the, the uh, choreographed intro thing, but just in terms of the decision to play him and so forth, what what have you thought about what what's been your your thought process in the aftermath of our conversation with him? It, it's been interesting, Reese, because I really think the 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 Brandon Miller situation, especially like the core decision of whether to play him or not, um, is probably most compelling because you can reasonable people can look at it from a lot of different ways, right? You and I have talked about it off the air. Like a very reasonable person, like Jay Billis, could say, "I look at the law." You know, I thought Greenberg had a great point on game day. Uh, if this was a regular student, there wouldn't be any there. Now, obviously, if you're an athlete, there's you have special you have special privileges and you have to be held to a higher standard. And I do understand that. But at the same time, he was tied to such a horrible and horrific moment. I don't think anybody would be aghast or shocked if Alabama said, you know what, Brandon, like probably time for you to move on and, you know just go, go start getting money for the draft. Um, and I actually thought that was what Alabama was going to do, quite frankly. Like just as I looked at the situation, I looked at the optics. That was what I thought. So, um, you know, I thought that there was a, there were a lot of questions to ask Greg Byrne that night because it's a complicated situation because it's like he's almost the accessory to the accessory, if that makes sense. And there was, you know, obviously lingering issues with the text message that arrived that nobody had known about until uh, until that time. 
and the cameras and the lawyer statement and what's in and out of the lawyer statement. So I, I hoped and thought and didn't hear a, uh, a ton otherwise that, that we, we gave a holistic, I, our hope was to give, ask every question we needed to, to give a holistic perspective and, and, and find out exactly what Greg, Alabama and others there were thinking to, uh, to arrive at that decision. Where I landed, and, I, and you and I, as you mentioned, we've spoken about it. I vacillated as to whether I thought it would be right for Alabama to separate from him. That's the term I've used because we don't know. You can't get inside his head. You don't know for sure if if he read the text message. You don't know if he took the text message seriously. You don't know if he was uh, coming in to... Uh, give some type of assistance or if he was coming in to remove people from the situation or none of the above. He was just coming to be the right. You don't know. So my my thought on it has been this, that no suspension for this type of tragedy would suffice because what's the answer to that? Two games, five Amen. games, a month, six months. I mean, what what is it? So to me, you either have to decide whether, as you eloquently and reasonably pointed out and say, you know what? The connection, whatever that might be, is something that we can't be tied to, and therefore we're going to separate and we, you know, we wish you well. Or you take the path that they've done and you rely on the law enforcement investigation. You rely on your, as Jay pointed out, something on game day that I thought was was a reasonable thing that frankly I hadn't really considered in this way. He said, you know, they, meaning the Alabama administration, Greg Byrne, Nate Oates, um, presumably, at least to some degree, maybe secondhand in nature, the university president and so forth. They know Brandon Miller better than any of us. And they know some details about how that goes that we don't know. It doesn't make them right. It's just something uh, something to consider, because I think when we when we say that as broadcasters, reporters, journalists, that immediately where the mind goes is, well, he's good. They're going to defend him. And I'm not naive enough to think that that doesn't happen. But it's also true that if you if you have a good read on someone's character and you believe they are cooperating in, in their involvement in a situation, no matter how tragic, perhaps looks worse on the outside than you believe it to be or you've been led to believe that it is, then maybe you make that decision. But I don't think, I think it was one or the other. It was either separate or stand behind, absent more evidence, as we talked to Greg about what would change it, new information, you know, that would that would change the uh, feeling of how it is. So they've, they've decided to go on with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting thing to watch. And then in the aftermath, the one thing, I mean, the the choreographed intro that they have been doing all year, in which you know there's a walk on who uh, emulated what they called a TSA thing, so that you're cleared for flight. That's how they described it. How Brandon, the walk on, one of the teammates, team manager, assistant coach, director of basketball operations, SID, Nate Oaks, somebody. Somebody didn't say that had seen this all year say, hey, we, we need to get rid of that. That that's a that's not what we that's not what we need to represent in this moment, particularly that that was a it was so obtuse uh, 
to, uh, you know, it, it was, it boggled the mind that like, what, what are you guys thinking? And, you know, Nate Oates has, has, you know, taken full responsibility for it, said, I should have known. I didn't know. I don't pay attention to warmups, which I believe, by the way, you know, I mean, there's not a basketball coach in the world that really pays that much attention to what the guys do in their, their choreographed intros. But in this situation, somebody had to notice that even if it was the players themselves to say, Hey, we, we need to change it up here. And they didn't do that. And it was embarrassing. And, and really in the aftermath of making the decision not to separate, then to do it further was a was a terrible look on Saturday, but they'll you know they'll try to put that behind them from this point forward. I guess there's been two unforced errors here by Alabama that have really amplified this story. It was always going to be controversial, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, there was always going to be divisive, and they were always going to have to deal with the consequences of like there's no feel good Alabama basketball this year, right? And they they embraced that, but not briefing Nate Oates before his press conference about the. Uh, events that had happened that day about the the pretrial hearing and what was said and what was alleged about Brandon Miller, not stopping him and saying, Hey, Nate, either cancel the press conference so you can bring a strategy or saying, Hey, Nate, there's some questions and, and at least saying, Hey guys, I was just in practice. I don't, I'm, I haven't been briefed on that. We'll, we'll, we'll release a statement later. Like mm-hmm. nobody's stopping him to do that and flame this story precipitously in my opinion. And then when you make that decision, nobody in the organization is sitting saying, all right, we need to be perfect. We need to be perfect. Like we mm-hmm. can't have, right. we can't do anything. We can't have a broken curfew. We can't have a public urination. Like we are under significant scrutiny right now. So anything you do or anything we're doing that you think is going to bring scrutiny, you've got to change. Like nobody, you know, uh, rallying everybody together and saying, let's use common sense. And let's push forward here and be smart because we're under a different level of scrutiny. That was uh, that was another unforced error. I don't know how nobody saw that, you know, all the weeks before. Well, I, you know, I think they have it because it was not it had been rumored in quiet places that there was some type of connection. Nobody knew exactly what. Got but it. I think because it wasn't public, nobody that was the much first of home game since that became public. True. Yeah. yeah. And okay. yeah so, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but, but even there's no excuse for it. I mean, none whatsoever. Probably it would have been wise, even absent the, absent the connection to Brandon Miller, that anything that would look that way after Darius Miles' arrest, it would have been, you know, yes. it would have been why you would think somebody might have, you know, might have thought of that. And, um, I, I understand that there are going to be Alabama people listening to this and saying, well, that's easy for you to say. And I understand the hindsight is perfect, but, but your point is the right one in the aftermath of something like this, someone, whoever that might be. Now, maybe the players and coaches are so involved in the season. It needs to be someone on the outside, but it's inside, outside. Somebody needs to step up and say that we have to, that was a great way to put it. We have to be perfect. And they, they failed miserably in that, uh, in that particular instance. And hopefully they will handle it as well as possible going forward. Let, let me ask to, you this. No, How do ahead. you think like this team gets perceived? You know, SEC tournament is what it is, but like, you know, uh, they're a, they're a final four team, right? As much as anyone is here mm-hmm. as they win games and as they move on, and as they go to sweet 16, what is that going to be like? 
they're not they're not going to um i mean they wouldn't because they're likely barring you know a few losses here late they're likely to be a one seed so nobody in the arena ever roots for the one seed except the one seed sure. teams but there will probably be a little more energy directed against them uh, mm -hmm. certainly you saw that at the South Carolina game. Mm -hmm. You are certainly going to see it Saturday afternoon in College Station uh, when Texas A&M has a really good team. So I think there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, they'll probably, they'll, they, they will probably fare better in a neutral site situation. But even so, uh, everybody else at those neutral sites will be rooting against them, I think. Mm -hmm. As I said, what you would for the one seed, root against the one seeds anyway, but I think there'll be some more vitriol directed their way because of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how it gets covered, right? Because anything tied to the tragedy gets amplified a million times, a quote mm -hmm. or anything like that. And it's just going to be, you know, it's just hard to separate the things, right? So I, I just think it's going to be really interesting if they're playing for like a bid in the Final Four. Look, they're a wonderful team. They're fun to watch. When they're you, also when young. You, yes. And, and yes. you wonder at what point does it does it become too much an impact performance? You know? Yeah. No, I think that's very I mean, fair. And, and I also want to say this because, again, to your point of anything that's said, that's not important in the grand scheme. No. We all understand that, but they are playing. and. It's yeah. part of the story of them playing. So that is uh, that is something they'll have to deal with. We're going to talk to uh, Joe Winardi in just a second about bracketology, some of his processes, uh, some of the things that they're dealing that we are dealing with coming down the stretch of the season. Before we do that, Jalen Carter, obviously the biggest story at the combine. What else are you hoping to see here accomplish? Who you want to talk to while you're in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's interesting, Reese. Um, when I come here, it's, it's, you know, I obviously go over and listen to the players and hear what they have to say. I don't really care a ton about what the coaches and the GM say in the NFL because I don't cover the NFL. So I, I think how Bryce Young is perceived is going to be really interesting to, to me. Um, just obviously the, the, you know, remember all the fascination about Kyler Murray's size a couple of years ago at the Combine. There's going to be some fascination about Bryce Young's size. And this is always an interesting intersection for me as a college football writer. I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, it is sort of where your collegiate production doesn't matter and your like prospect bona fides trump your production. And sometimes that comes back around. But for the most part, like all your accomplishment is washed away. It's the underwear Olympics. It's what you run. It's what you do. It's how you go. So um, some of that doesn't bode well. For, for, for Bryce Young, because he is he is a little bit on the uh, on the slighter side. So I just think him, how he handles that is interesting. Uh, I had a story this week about Andre Carter, the uh, the six foot six defensive end from Army. He's a top hundred pick. Um, he's gonna be the highest Army pick since Mr. Outside, Glenn Davis, <laughs> I believe in 1947. He went number two. Andre Carter didn't go in that high. Um, but Andre Carter uh, is, is, to me, great story. I mean, it's hard, obviously, not to root for a guy from one of the academies. He, he's from the, he's from Texas, went to prep school in Connecticut, Reese, and uh, you know, classic late bloomer, and and could have left Army during his career there and transferred anywhere he wanted because he's a six foot six defensive end who led the nation in sacks. He had more sacks per game than Will Anderson in twenty twenty one. But you know what? He wanted to stay. There was a new law passed that said he couldn't declare for the draft. That could grandfather back. So I, I just hope. 
there's a lot riding on his performance because there's a hope and a push from the academies to get the the, the previous rule passed that allows you to defer your service. Mm-hmm. And the amount of attention he gets, the amount of success he gets is going to end up weighing in on whether Congress looks at that rule again this year. So I think to me, Andre Carter is pretty interesting. All three academies are rooting for Andre Carter. Air mm-hmm. Force and Navy are rooting just as hard because the way the rules are set now from the law that passed in December, and there's a two-year exemption uh, until it really kicks in, um, this will significantly impact recruiting. Because say you have a kid choosing between Rice, Tulsa, and Air Force. The Rice and Tulsa coaches, not to pick on them, but just hypothetically, will mm-hmm. say, well, go to Air Force, can't go to the league. Yeah, now, exactly. if you're a good enough high school football player in the state of Texas, for example, and you start in the Friday Night Lights, of course you think you're going to go to the NFL. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though the odds are, you know, against you, but it's not there. But what this law does is it takes that kid and says, well, I'm not going to an academy. I don't care if my uncle was an officer. My grandfather was an officer. I need to be able to go to the NFL. I need that option. And this takes that away. So I think it's been an interesting debate and uh, obviously rooting for Carter to uh, to flash well here. And uh, all all the armed forces are, are counting on. And we'll be watching for it. Look forward to seeing uh, all of that. We'll talk a lot more about your experience at the Combine in a future podcast, but sort of on the subject of Bryce Young and how it's going to dovetail into our conversation with Joe Lenardi, who's standing by right now. Bryce Young is the epitome of small guys have to prove that they can play. Big guys have to prove that they can't. Yes. And that's yes. that's why you're getting buzz on Will Levis and Anthony Richardson and players like that who may well have the physical characteristics, but they have done nothing in the in the same universe that Bryce Young has done as a player. And sometimes sometimes you'll find that in uh, in college basketball too. The little guy, the mid-major, they've all got to prove they can play and the and the big names have to prove that they can't. Check out SB Pod with Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve, a show best described as Big Dad Pod. This week, the guys are making amendments to Steve's list of 26 teams he thinks can win it all in March. Only 26, Steve? Plus, Dame Miller dropping 71 points. Could we see someone go for 100? And Scott is heading out west to hit the slopes, and Steve nearly became the mayor of Greenville, North Carolina last weekend. That's SV Pod. Listen every Tuesday morning, wherever you're enjoying this podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is great to have our guest today, Joe Winardi, who authored the book on bracketology, literally, and it's quite an interesting read if you haven't had a look at it before. It goes into a lot of Joe's processes as being the uh, preeminent authority on all things bracketology. Uh, Joe, before we get into the stuff about, you know, who's on the bubble, who makes a move and all of that kind of thing, I'm I'm really fascinated by your process. So let's start with a couple of things about your process. What do you do daily to evaluate these teams that causes some of the movement on, on your bracketology lines? It's evolved, Reese, over the years. I'd, I'd like to think that, that I'm smarter about it now than I was 10 or 15 years ago, whenever it kind of became at the level that it is now. Uh, but, you know, and, and I apologize for the, uh, uh, you can hear the pooch in the background. He, he doesn't like the fact that, you know, the underdogs haven't done so well this week, <laughs> but, you know, every night, every night I have a one to 68 at the end of the game's, that day and that starts on november 7th so theoretically there's a seed list based on that night's results and i feel that that's the best preparation for january february now into march when at any moment any of you any of our colleagues any of our off-fair people any of our game site people want to know how does this game fit in our production world, right? Mm-hmm. Y- you know, y- last night you had, what, Duke and NC State. Right. Well, right. it wasn't a game that was going to affect the top seeds or the bubble, but it mattered to them, and mm-hmm. it mattered to the other games involving ACC teams. So I, I, I've kind of developed this method where I keep on one screen – all of the key metrics that the committee would use, plus a number of my own, kind of honed over the years, the, the special sauce on the Big Mac, if you will. And uh, based on results as they come in, I slide teams incrementally up or down. And if they're close to the bubble, well, that could be in or out. But spent just as much time differentiating between let's say a six or a seven as the last in and the first out. It's just, nobody's paying as much attention to them. And, and uh, that way, when we get down to the end, 
I'm only making incremental evaluations, right? I'm adding that day to the 140 days before that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and and that has worked for me uh, because I think that by and large, and this was accidental, but my job is is kind of different from the others. And I know that there are others now doing it, most of whom are excellent uh, and many of whom are better at the quantitative part. I'm not really a math guy. Just mm -hmm. what you have to do is look at my checking account. But <laughs> like, like the difference is our work, like I'm feeding a whole network of people that need information in real time. And that has resulted in the process changing over the year from giving a bracket snapshot once or twice a week to how do we find a way to make it credible when you ask, what does this game mean that's about to be on our air? And I think one of the things that I've pointed out with uh, with my analysts, Joe, over the years, and I think and I think that you're okay with me assessing it this way. And if you're not, I mean, uh, you know, please correct me. I always tell them, I want you, meaning Billis, Seth, and Fonz, to tell the committee what it should do. I, I don't care if you're right or wrong. I want you to your your and your basketball expertise and from watching these games. Um, I want you to tell them what you should do. Now, you too have basketball expertise because you love this sport and you watch a, a billion games. But as I understand it, your, your realm, what you're trying to accomplish, your goal, let's say, is to try to predict what the committee will do based on Correct. criteria and previous and, and previous brackets and seed lists. Is that is that fair enough? Yeah, and I even remember where we were, you and I, when you came up with that distinction. Uh, it was the year they did the mock selection for us up in Bristol, and that's got to be 10 or 12 years yeah. ago now at this point. Uh, and Greg Shaheen, who you know I thought was ahead of his time uh, at, at being the NCAA lead person, and Dave Gavitt's very good too, don't get me wrong, but you know, Greg helped them realize that a little sunlight and transparency was actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we were there talking and, you know, I was having an argument with Digger or whomever about, <laughs> I don't know, I'm sure it had to do with Notre Dame in a mid-major. <laughs> just because, right, you know, it's a day that ended in Y, so that's yeah. what happened. And, and you know, I, I said, I'm not really giving my opinion of the teams. Now, mm -hmm. I can't help but have opinions. Sure. Yeah. Right. Because like, you know, I'm watching. Hey, I think they're pretty good or I think they're overrated. Uh, and when I. You know, if I have multiple misses in a year and averages one or so, it's usually because I fail to make the distinction. Because at any moment, I have to kind of catch myself, what would they do? Mm -hmm. And I try and kind of almost close my eyes and go in the room. And let's face it, you and I have been doing this a long time. and But we know the conversation they're having. We could mimic it. 
mm-hmm. like we were lawyers at a trial or looking at case law. Like, like, no, like we're pretty smart. This is not like splitting the atom. We're counting to 68, right? And, 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 you know, the difference between 67, 68, 69, and 70 is indistinguishable, mm-hmm. like for a reasonable person, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, everyone else on our air and everybody else's air is saying what, what they think should have because that's their job mm-hmm. and i'm not as i didn't play i didn't coach i'm not as good at that i, th- I think i'm certainly credible but you know i couldn't draw an inbounds play my daughter's cyo team that i coached was zero and 15. i think so, that was because that was because you didn't recruit well enough it had nothing to do with the x's and the o's you got to get well, I thought players. Th- there was an issue with passing and and, and dribbling and shooting. <laughs> Other than that, Other than that you know, it was really good. Right? So, so we, we led oh, the C- it, I had a girl who led the CYO in fouls. That that was our contribution. Oh, that'd be some of that physical defense that guys like Greenberg like. I want the freedom of movement oh, yeah. and, and, and guys to score. <clears throat> uh, I'm gonna let Pete in here for a second. So, with all of this talk and trying, would that explain why you hate North Carolina? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got some. I got something on Twitter. I, 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 Debbie Antonelli and I must have done okay last night in the Duke NC State game because um, someone told me why uh, couldn't I try to be or couldn't we try to be um, less anti-Duke? And someone else responded that um, all they heard was Duke cheerleaders. So I responded that um, that. Couldn't they try to be less anti-announcer? And the secret was is that we hated all of the teams and secretly <laughs> longed for ways that both of them could lose at the same time. And in fact, all of them. We want all of them to lose. But on on that subject, um, I've come off this position with Carolina uh, up until about two weeks ago or so. I said they were the one team. I was asked this question by Jacob Hester, of all people, on a radio show. I've said mm-hmm. it that way because he's a football guy. But he's really smart, and he's a good broadcaster. Um, he said, one team, one game scenario, tournament, you would not bet against. This was about three weeks ago, I guess. And I said, North Carolina. And I said, that I've come off that position now. They're still capable. But they fall into that thing, Joe, that you run into and a lot of people do, is they've had multiple opportunities. Maybe not as many as normal because the ACC – for whatever reason, it is slipped in the metrics numbers, but they've still had a lot of opportunities and haven't won a lot of the highest end games. Does that factor in to why, as opposed to, I'm almost certain they would be favored over some of the mid-major teams that might get at large bids in terms of mm-hmm. Vegas, Vegas favoring. Is that why? Is that how you evaluate them? They've had a lot of chances and have only won once as we sit here now in terms of quad, the quad one wins for whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the classic, you know, qualitative versus quantitative debate. You know, if 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 we were picking teams in the schoolyard and North Carolina was playing Oral Roberts, we would all pick North Carolina. Unless we're, we're having a three-point shooting contest and then I'd take Max Acemas, but anyway. No, no question. Yeah. But, but we would go, well, they have better – you know, or Roberts has one guy who would be in Carolina's rotation, right? But given the opportunity to actually be good, 
they, for the most part, have failed that. So if we're simply going to ignore the results and anoint who we think is the most talented, why not just skip the season and go with the preseason poll and bracket the field? Right? Like, like we, we, we have an exam with 30 or 35 questions for each team, and you have to get some of the questions right in order to, you know, I just sent Thamel a note and, and said, jump in, but I have to push back on yeah. this because I, I mean, I get it, but their tests have been harder. And then there are also, there's also the evaluative part of it in watching the games. They had a couple of chances to beat Alabama. Who's your number one overall seed and lost him for overtimes. They had a shot to beat Iowa state. They didn't do it. I get it. But then you're assuming that those teams who maybe had uh, lesser chances would would have played as well or better, and that may or may not be the case. So I do think there's some basketball judgment that it's reasonable to, no to employ there. And, and what I would say at this moment, ironically, because I look at these things, I'm a little nutty that way. If Oral Roberts was not an AQ at the moment, an auto, you know, the league leader, if they were in the at-large pool, I think I have Carolina 69th, and I think Oral Roberts would be like 71st or 72nd, based on the numbers and what what I kind of put in to the hopper. North Carolina, if they played a best of seven against Oral Roberts on a neutral court, would absolutely be favored. And I think that that is that's part of the discussion. Uh, I also think we're fooling ourselves. If we think that the fact that it's North Carolina isn't an issue because it's human nature. And if we were told, if, if I just said, Reese, Pete, there's a team out there with a net of 47 that's one and nine in quad one, and they're the first team out, you'd go, wow, how did that happen? So to the good. So they're already getting some evaluative benefit of the doubt, at least from my seat. Because if it was, I don't know, Oregon State with that profile, I'm not sure they're even on the board. And in fairness to Carolina, there's no other team on the bubble that has four starters back and played in the national championship game with a double-digit halftime lead. Like, Mm -hmm. that's reality that can't be ignored. And to say, well, we don't consider this, that, or the other thing in his blind resume. This, we all know that that's a load of hoop. So I'm glad you brought up Oral Roberts because I'm going to shift to the bubble from uh, from the disappointing powder blues. Um, Oral Roberts, you have seated as a 12 right now, which to me means they still better win their conference tournament, like you said, where you had them seated. So here's here's my question to you as someone who has evaluated many bubbles. Now, to me, the uninformed, this bubble is a sewer of mediocrity. I mean, it is indistinguishable. And we could probably have said that about the bubble for the last 10 years, right? So at some point- More than 10. Yes, that's fair. So at some point, does a team that has accomplished a lot, like Oral Roberts, um, Colgate's probably not a great example because they're a little bit too low. VCU could fit here. Hofstra, which has had an all-time season, could, could fit here. Charleston's going to be in no matter what, but you, you know who I mean. Like the, those, but they're those not sort of, they're not. Yeah. Like why should Texas, Florida Atlantic, I'll give you, yeah. but not Charleston. Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay. 
So why, why haven't we evolved to where accomplishment means more than Texas Tech's resume or Auburn's resume or try to think, oh, Arizona State's, Mississippi State's, West Virginia? Like, it, to me, it seems like there's a disconnect between achievement and participation when it comes to some of those high majors and great leagues. And I'm just wondering if you think we'll see any shift in that this year. I, I don't know how many people have served on the committee in the last 20 or 25 years that I've been doing this. Let's say it's about 100. It's more than 50. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we polled them and we said, is your job to pick the best teams or the most deserving? It's the same debate in football. It's mm-hmm. probably the same debate when you try to rank hamburgers, right? Like, like I might be a results person. You might be, you know, hey, I saw that team in the airport and they have two lottery picks. You know, my answer to that is if they have two lottery picks, then why didn't they win more games? But, you know, there's context. Sometimes you don't win more games because you had an injury or because you made a personnel change in mid-year or whatever. Like, like, and, and, and this debate is never going to be resolved. If we pulled those 100 people, I think it would be 51-49. And I don't know which way it would go. And the only instructions to the committee are select the 36 best, really meaning best available teams for at-large positions. There is no Webster's or dictionary defining best. And every person in that room has their own view of it. And I'm convinced, now it's 12, used to be 10. If the same 12 people are voting on the last teams on Thursday, they could very easily have a different output on Saturday. That is how I I think how random it is at the end of the line. And, uh, you know, I've tended to lean more toward achievement for the reason being, and, you know, certainly my own background tends to be more in the mid-major realm. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, beyond that, if you study the last 10 or 15 years of the tournament, though the Oral Roberts is of the world. If we make them a, a class, like a class action, the Oral Roberts is of the world, the high-end mids against what I call the middling majors, for lack of a better example, the 5 and 11 in your league. Now, the Big 12 this year has thrown that, <laughs> you know, into but but the the middling majors on average get twice as many bids as the Oral Roberts's. They get better seeds by about a seed line and a quarter, and they win about half as many games. <laughs> like the the high that is mids, great. Now I understand each year stands as its own, but if you've got a sample size of forty on one side and a sample size of thirty on the other over a period of years, I think you can at least infer a bit. And I've come to the simple conclusion that maybe the teams that are 26 and three are more likely to win because they're better at basketball. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to counter you a little bit. 
I'm going to counter you a little bit here, Joe, because I think you and I, I think there's a line. Um, the one thing I would like about that, though, I think, is that the great thing about football is that you are more likely, not guaranteed, but you're more likely to get the best team win simply because the field's smaller. If you if you limit the mid-majors or limit the high majors who didn't win their league or whatever and you went the different direction, I would say you would be more likely to, to get the best team out of basketball to win the championship because I think, in, in my judgment, and there are exceptions for sure, but in my judgment, they're less likely to trip up the really good teams as uh, – you know, let's say, well, you know what? Carolina is a perfect example last year. They had a pretty average season. They got hot. They were very mm-hmm. talented, played their best basketball, and they darn near won the national championship. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're an example of it is highly unlikely that a mid-major is going to do that. But your point's well taken because we can go back to that old VCU argument, and I maintain to this day the VCU team that went to the Final Four should not have been in the tournament. But once they got there, they played brilliantly and got to the final four. Weren't good enough to win. Well, it would have been seven for them because I believe they came from the first four, if I recall. They did. Uh, so mm-hmm. they it would have been seven for them. They weren't good enough to win six or seven, but good enough to get hot and trip people up along the way. Um, but I think even those instances are rare. But anyway, let's let's do this real quickly before I know you've got some place to be. And we, we've kept you because the subtitle of this podcast is talkative and undisciplined. So um, <laughs> give, give me uh, give me give me real quickly here a team that is in more trouble in terms of making the field than it would seem. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, I'm good with the long form because we can't ever have debates this long on game day <laughs> and we can have them in the cafeteria. Yeah. We're never going to resolve it. And that's OK. It's like, fun. I think fun. Yeah. I think the three of us would make a great committee. I don't think the results would be in any worse. And if they gave us pizza and a six pack, I'd throw in the NIT no extra charge. <laughs> <laughs> you guys would be fun. But I right, need more than six, go. Joe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Auburn, uh, you know, I, I ran through it this morning. They, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're at Alabama tonight. Um, they're probably going to lose. And, you know, they're going to have that kind of lopsided quad one as we move here toward the SEC tournament. Uh, so that would be, that would be one. Uh, I think, you, you know, Wisconsin has all kinds of great wins, but, you know, their net is in the mid-70s. And not casting aspersions, there are people in the room who I think are a little overly obsessed with the number, not knowing that the difference between 58 and 78 on the net in terms of basketball on the court is pretty insignificant right but there's going to be someone there who says i just can't put that team in when you know florida atlantic is 19 and 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 oral roberts is 38 right like so so i get it i and and so those are teams that you know i would say could wake up as texas a&m in two weeks Tell me this, Joe, uh, to counter that question. What 
poor plucky mid-major having a season for the ages could get gutted by losing on like a Tuesday afternoon here this week and just be left left kicking and screaming in the NIT and having its coach come on our air and uh, first the the flawed and weighted selection process. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm nominating Charleston. Mm. Uh, uh, leading the nation in wins, I think. Last time I looked So wins, are those did. important? Well, depends on who they're against. <laughs> right. So here you go. I think they have 27, 20, whatever it is, 22 of them are quad four, and another three or four Ooh. are non division one or 18 Ooh. or quad four. 22 of their wins are quad four or non division one. So, so like if I'm going to bang Clemson, for having a non-conference schedule of 350 and padding their record, I have to be intellectually honest and also bang Charleston for piling up wins that don't matter. And mm. and I, I've I've come around over the years to to, to realizing th- that it's not black and white. Like I used to pound my shoe on the table for St. Mary's or or Siena or whomever uh and i did not pan my shoe on the table for vcu in 2011 reese i think you and i and jay were the only ones at the time and you know look they played their tails off in the tournament Mm -hmm. and they did that's great and i i went and did a game there the next year for st joe's and i had never seen my fat head in the student section with a big red x group Uh, but then I went and played drums in the band for a song and I seemed to, you know, kiss and made up with, 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 with Ram Nation there, but yeah. And you, you should be able to have a little fun with it, but yeah. And here you go, Pete Charleston doesn't even have the NIT automatic qualifier because Hofstra, oh, does. Hofstra got them. Uh, wow. Now they're going to get the NIT if they need to, because yeah. they're good enough. Right. And they do have like the NIT probably thinks that, 27 or 28 wins still matters and well they should but yeah but i think the best of those teams at basketball is oral roberts mm-hmm. and they tried everything they even scheduled a quad one road game mid-season to go to new mexico to try and pick one up uh both schools had a, had a game to play with and and they didn't win the game but at the time i think new mexico was undefeated so it seemed mm-hmm. like a good idea yeah. Uh, but they're not. They're not going to make it if because the committee would say all you had to do was beat three bad teams to get in, and and that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it is Joe. You you do unbelievable work. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Glad we got a little long form going here. I'll see you on game day Saturday. And uh, just you won't just so, actually this week. Oh, I won't. You're not with us. Well, how about this? How about this? Uh, unbelievably bad timing, but this is podcast only. My wife's dad's turning 85, and what he wants more than anything in the world is to play in this golf tournament in Florida. So Saturday morning while you're on the air, I'm going to attempt to score 68 at something else and <laughs> fail miserably. <laughs> would uh, would you... <laughs> Would you like to host the show and I can join your father-in-law instead? Uh, you would like it. You would like it. I don't know if I could agree with Jay for two hours. Uh, nobody can. <laughs> and, just, I know. I know. And, and just And just so you know, 
the uh, the, the situation that Pete referred to about the mid-major that gets gutted, I affectionately and reverently refer to that as the, how can you do that to these kids team of the year? <laughs> right. Because for years on Selection Sunday, Vital, Vital would be aggrieved by subselection. And how can you do that to these kids? So that's I get it. Well, let, let's 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 hit one other point if I can. Because yep. this is the only place to ever get a stress. Everybody asks me, Reese, every year, like you guys come on and Sunday night, you know, it's great. Well, the show's called Bracketology. Where's Joe? Right? And it's yeah. not for lack of being asked, right? I have I have just kind of decided over the years that. It's best to disappear <laughs> for these reasons. If I'm dead on, all it looks like is I'm gloating. And nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes that guy in anything, right? And if I'm pissy or they screwed up and I go on about that because I haven't slept in three days, then I look like a jackass. So there's no upside. I just listen to you guys and and smile. So just know that I love you in my heart, and it's all good after six o'clock Sunday night. That's a that that's that's a great point, and it calls to mind as I uh, my wife tells me I would have no frame of reference if not for the people I've worked with over the years. It reminds me of what Corso always says: When you lose, say little. When you win say less so you're following yeah. you're following that to a t yeah well he knows better and look sometimes they drag me on anyway but just know what my position is and i would rather watch you guys at that point than participate understood the great joe Lenardi. joe thanks for being with us all thanks, right Reese, thank you you're the best Pete, great to see you too yeah hope they get it right joe <laughs> i can agree with you uh, <laughs> Just remember, I don't have a vote. <laughs>